Sustainability by Design in Digital Transformation, Digital and Technology Trends for 2024 in the first two chapters of my new book called The Final Countdown. Those are just a few things we're going to share with you today on episode number 134 of Transformation Ground Control. This is Transformation Ground Control. Your source for all things business, technology, strategy, and change. If you're growing your business, leading change within your organization, or undertaking any sort of operational or technology change initiative, this podcast is for you. This show covers what you need to know about digital transformation, organizational change, operational improvement, and business growth. Five, four, three, two, one. And now, here's your host, Eric Kimberly. Hello, welcome to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 134. My name is Eric Kimberling. I'm the CEO and founder of Third Stage Consulting. We're an independent consulting firm that helps clients throughout the world reach their third stage of digital transformation success. And with me today, as always, is my co-host, Kyler Cheatham. Kyler, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Thank you again for being here. And uh, this is the podcast that has everything to do with digital transformation, including digital strategy, the people, process, and technology aspects of transformation. So thank you for being here today. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as on audio podcast platforms throughout the world. You can also go to transformationgroundcontrol.com to see the aggregated place where all those formats are all shared on there. So that's probably the easiest thing if you if you want is just go to transformationgroundcontrol.com and you can see and listen to past episodes of the show as well. So we've got a great show for you today. We're going to start off our opening segment with some audience questions, as well as two hot topics. We're going to get into why sustainability by design is key to success in digital transformation, as well as what is the actual business value of digital transformation. We're going to talk about those two things in the opening segment, along with audience questions. And then later in the show, our first guest will be AV uh, from a company called Avero Advisors, and he's going to be with me on the show talking about digital and tech trends for 2024 and beyond. So the emerging technology and the trends that you need to be aware of as you define your digital strategy and your digital transformation uh, plans for 2024 and beyond. And then last but not least, in the third segment of the show here today, we're going to share with you the first two chapters of my new book, which is called The Final Countdown. And it's a, a book about digital strategy and how to define the digital strategy. Um, that book will be released on August 25th. You can actually pre-order the book now, though, on Amazon. If you go to um, Amazon and search my name or search uh, The Final Countdown, you can also go to thefinalcountdown.com, uh, which is the website for the book as well, if you'd like to learn more about the book. So we're going to share with you the first two chapters, give you sort of a sneak peek of why you should buy the book. And uh, if you're so inclined, you can buy the book on Amazon for a discounted rate uh, on the pre-sale uh, rate that we we have for you. And we'll share that with you later today as well. So before we get to our guest and our other uh, topics later in the show, uh, Kyler, let's talk through uh, some of the questions that you have from the audience, from the audience jar or the question jar here today. Yeah, right. The question jar. Well, you'll see the question jar is a little light today, which um, is not a bad thing. You just had some very lengthy questions today was or this week, I should say, was a big question week, which is very exciting for me. Um, so I have some on my phone as well. So it's the metaphorical question jar, if you will. Yes. But if you're, if you're new here, um, you can ask Eric direct questions on this podcast. Um, you can post on any of the third stage social media or his social media. 
um, questions in the comments. You can also comment wherever you're joining us today. And our team goes back and pulls all of those comments for future episodes. Um, so with that, let's go ahead and get into it. So you're digitally transforming the question jar. Is that what you're saying? I know. You know, like, I started writing point. it and I thought to myself, like, what would EK do in this situation as I'm writing out all these questions? I'm like, is this really efficient? Um, so some of them are on a, a digital based phone, but, you know, it's still very much audience based, great content. So this is a really interesting one that's from your TikTok channel. And you do a TikTok series about why project managers get fired. And I was actually laughing as I pulled this because you do an intro about project managers get fired and you hear you're fired and that's the worst re uh, reason you can have. But that specific video doesn't go into the top reasons why. So there's at least five comments on there saying, why do they get fired? Why do they get fired? Why do they get fired? So I thought I would do our audience a favor and ask you, what are some of the top reasons project managers get fired? Yes, uh, that I thought that was funny too. That um, it, it, you have to go watch the other videos, obviously, to know where where I was going with that one clip. Um, but yeah, so you, you you wonder, you know, what is it that gets project managers fired? I mean, it, I think a lot of times people assume it's because they don't know how to quote unquote manage a project. They don't have the project management hard skills, and that that's a challenge for some. But it's usually not the reason why they get fired. It's usually not because they don't know how to manage a Gantt chart or to you know, track milestones and that sort of thing. I think it's because they don't, the biggest reason is because they don't understand the art of project management, especially as it relates to a digital transformation or specifically as it relates to a digital transformation. So in other words, knowing that it's not just a line item on a task list that you check off that yes or no, we got it done. It's the qualitative side of it of, did we do it good enough? And, you know, there's so many activities that you need to do in a digital transformation that technically Maybe it's completed, but to the inexperienced project manager, if you don't recognize that, yeah, you did it, but you didn't do it in a way that's aligned with the business needs or didn't capture the requirements, the way the business actually works and that sort of thing, then that you're going to miss that nuance. And even though on paper, it looks like you're tracking the project really well, the project can still fail. So I think understanding the art and the science of project management is probably the biggest reason. And then along those lines, I guess the second big reason is um, not focusing enough on organizational change and some of the non-technical aspects of the transformation. Um, that's another big one. Uh, another one is getting overrun by the system integrators and the software vendors. So the, the big third-party technical providers that have a vested interest or a self-interest in pushing software into your organization as fast as possible. Um, if you let, if you don't manage them, in addition to your own internal resources, you have to manage those third-party resources just as aggressively, probably even more aggressively. If you don't do that well, then that's uh, oftentimes leads to project managers getting getting fired. And then, of course, there's the usual like over budget, over, you know, delayed timelines and that sort of thing, which is more of a symptom of some of the other things I talked about. But that's oftentimes the straw that breaks a camel's back when a when a project goes over budget and isn't delivering business value. That's going to get a project manager fired, too. But the reasons why those things happen often trace back to those other things I mentioned. So those are a few of the things I talk about, which you can learn more about watching my YouTube video where I go into that in, in detail as well. Yeah, definitely great um, kind of pre-work for any project manager, future, present um, that wants to look at how do you even optimize. Um, that's really the point of the video is, is making sure that you're creating good behavior. So 
So with that, um, I want to go into a few. We seem to have struck a nerve on our $100 million SAP to Oracle implementation failure that we talked about um, in a few episodes back. Um, and I want to kind of ask you some of the questions that we have on here, and maybe we can convince Eric to go in and make a few um, duet answers here, because um, these have, are some great questions. But this one basically is a, a comment that I want to get your feedback. Um, so good guy Greg said, every single ERP transition project in a Fortune 500 enterprise costs nine to 10 figures and always fails. What's your reaction to that? Nine to 10 figures. So he's saying it's going to cost a billion dollars potentially for, is that right? Yeah, 10, 10 figures would be a billion dollars or more. Um, I've seen some that are a billion dollars or more, but I would not say that every Fortune 500 is in that range. But I'd say most Fortune 500s are going to be in the $100 million plus range, which might seem astronomical to many. But I mean, if you think about a large, complex global organization, it's going to cost you know, a lot of time and money. Um, but I think, you know, there's some reality that a big fortune 500 company is just complex. And by definition, it's going to be expensive and timely or, or time intensive to implement. But I think the problem with fortune 500 companies is they tend to, they tend to let their projects get out of control on a massive scale, it, which is really weird because you think that they of all companies would have the resources and the manpower to tighten their tighten the ship and uh, tighten the reins on a project, but they tend to let things just sort of go. Um, and maybe it's because there's so many people and so many players and decision makers that it's harder for them to make definitive decisions like, hey, let's pause the project or let's slow down the tempo and, and scale back on our outside consultants to to go to slower pace. That Those kinds of decisions, I think, are a lot harder for big organizations to make. Um, so I don't know if that's really answering the question or the comment, but I, that, that's sort of my knee-jerk reaction to the comment there. Yeah, and I think there's something to be said that though ERP or digital transformation projects are complex, sometimes just the entity and culture of those bigger organizations can overcomplicate them um, a lot of times to lead to a, a bunch of different work streams that might not be as efficient or too many kind of project leaders um, in the core team as well. So we've seen kind of a lot of those inefficiencies, which is so important to the phase zero planning to really make sure you have all that mapped out before it kind of grows and snowballs and gets out of control. So definitely um, a, a great comment. Um, so one more that I'm gonna bring up today, which is um, your users have been spicy this week, Eric. So I wanna <laughs> ask you about, um, one of these, it's kind of calling you out. It says a thousand ERP implementations, I'm calling BS. 10 implementations would make you an expert. A thousand seems ridiculous. If you provide purely consulting, maybe say a hundred. So I'm gonna give you the opportunity to respond to that um, in, in referencing your thousand ERP implementations guidebook, which this is all about. And we actually have that linked below. It's one of our top most requested assets. So highly recommend it, even if we're going to let Eric respond to this controversy in the marketplace. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, I've heard that comment and that challenge before to the uh, to the thousand plus uh, implementations I've been involved with. I think a lot of times people think of the traditional way of being involved in a project is you get assigned to a project and you're on it for full time for two or three years or whatever. Um, in my case, early in my career, I was in that role, but in the last 15 years or uh, yeah, 15 or more years, 
I've always been involved with multiple projects in any given time. And at and right now our company third stage has about, I think at any given time, they've got about, we have about 40 to 50 active clients and active implementations we're involved with. We have expert witness work as well as actual implementation work and software selections. And in addition to that, we do a lot of industry stuff where we're consulting um, sort of off the, off the without the meter running, if you will, uh, to organizations that are considering our services or that we talk to on a daily basis for business development purposes. So at any given time, I mean, we touch hundreds of clients every year and that number is actually low. A thousand is probably more like 2000 now when you consider all the different organizations we interact with and that I've interacted with in some capacity over the last 20, 25 years. Uh, but having said that to the, to the person's point, there's no way that I could have hands-on managed full-time a thousand implementations. That is ridiculous. I don't know anyone that could possibly do that in a, in a lifetime, but being an, ex being on an executive steering committee for multiple projects at any given time and having touched multiple projects at any given time, they, they do add up. And when you've got 50 active projects at any given time, and we're constantly adding new clients and cycling through clients, um, you can see how those numbers will add up over time. That's uh, where we come up with the one to 2000 figure. And I think really the key nugget there is that implementations often get categorized for very large enterprise-wide technology projects. And we see many other implementations that truly should be given the same amount of effort, resources, and intention go by the wayside because they're considered something like, quote unquote, an upgrade. And it leads to a lot of disruption in business processes. So I think there's kind of the silver lining of opening the door to that conversation of a technology implementation might not be a very big complex ERP project. It might be, you know, a different level of bringing in new technology to a specific department or specific job function. Those types of different things still need to be intentionally planned and understood. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you wholeheartedly on that. Well, good. Well, speaking of understood, um, we're going to go into a few really interesting hot topics. I'm really excited for this conversation. Um, I know, Eric, you're excited too, to kind of address these these trending topics in the marketplace yeah absolutely we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we'll hit a couple of those hot topics uh, one being why sustainability by design is key to digital transformation success as well as what is the actual value of digital transformation those are the two hot topics we'll get to here in just a moment and then later in the show after we get through those hot topics we're going to have our first guest who is uh, av from a company called avero advisors he's going to be joining me to talk about digital and technology trends to be aware of and ready for in 2024 and beyond. And then later in the show, our last segment, we'll share the first two chapters of my new book called The Final Countdown, which you can uh, pre-order now on Amazon for a discounted rate. If you'd like the electronic copy, you can pre-order it now for a discount. You'll receive the electronic copy once it's released officially on August 25th of this month. Uh, so stick around. We're going to share with you the first couple chapters. You can see uh, sort of a sneak peek of the book or hear a sneak peek of the book as well. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. Could you whisper in my ear the things you want to feel? Interested in working for a company that truly values your unique skills and experience? Here at Third Stage, we don't hire based on resumes alone. We look at the full candidate, experience, and willingness to provide excellent service for our clients. Within a technology independent and agnostic consulting firm, you have the opportunity to learn across industries with a diverse group of clients. Our consultants also have the opportunity to diversify their portfolio and learn across technology systems. 
If you're interested in joining a high-growth entrepreneurial organization, please reach out to us at work at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 134. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. So uh, we've got some hot topics you wanted to cover here today. Kyler, what have you got in store for us? Yeah, so I want to talk about the concept of sustainability by design. I really like these hot topics because, as you all know, I really like data behind having these conversations. So both of these hot topics are built on newly released surveys. Um, So this specific survey which was done by Software AG, found that 95% of companies consider sustainability a top priority. Uh, So they asked why are only 84% admittedly using sustainability um, as a forefront strategy within their digital transformation. Um, And so the problem that they sourced here that I want to get your opinion on is that 84% of companies still see digital sustainability and transformation as a separate initiative from the main ERP or technology implementation. And that leads to a complete breakage in the overall full holistic conception of the project. So that's the piece that I wanted to kind of talk about is sustainability, or as a lot of times we heard it say, maintenance, optimization, all of those different pieces of kind of what happens after the technology is implemented. Should that be an afterthought or how should you can should you include that in the main project planning in phase zero? I think for organizations that are that are focused on that and value uh, sustainability, of course, um, they they should be doing that in, in sort of the phase zero planning uh, stages of a transformation. Um, and I think to your point, there's a couple of different ways to think about sustainability. I mean, there's the sustainability of the actual deployment and how self-sufficient uh, you are with technology and how efficiently you're deploying technology and that sort of thing. But there's also the sustainability impact that technology can have on your organization in general. So if you're able to um, to, to manage uh, consumables more effectively and the, the carbon footprint and the impact on the environment and that sort of thing, because you have better data, better technology to help you manage that, then you certainly want to track that business value in that regard as well. So I think there's, I agree with you. I just think there's two different layers that, uh, you know, you want to think about sustainability, both in terms of technology deployments themselves, as well as the impact of the organization longer term. Absolutely. And and some things they talk about here in this study is the lack of overall employee-based metrics in a digital transformation. And the fact that many employees or team members don't actually know what they're working to achieve from a metric standpoint. So I wanted to hear kind of your feedback around what's the importance of having alignment and actually defining key metrics that is now dispersed and communicated to your entire organization so that you're moving towards specific metric-based goals. Well, I think first and foremost is just to ask that question. I mean, it's as simple as your question sounds. A lot of organizations don't ask themselves or their teams that. And so I think being aware of and cognizant of what our expected business value is and where we expect to get the business value and what the metrics are that we're going to hold ourselves accountable to. Those are all really important to not only justify the project, but also to help ensure that we're delivering business value longer term. So I, I think uh, 
it's it's hugely important but it's it's just it's really interesting to me though how few or how rare it is to hear an organization go through that because a lot of times they think well why do we measure it we don't need to measure it we we know we have to do this project either way so what's the point of measuring it and even if you know you have to do it because you're you know, your legacy product is broken or it's being sunset by a vendor or whatever. Um, that's still not a good reason not to define those metrics and set the targets. Because if you don't do that, you're not going to realize a business value that you could get out of the system. So it's, it's usually important. And yeah, and, and not even defining that at a project or an executive level, but communicating that through the organization. Yeah. So there is, you know, motivation to move towards that. And I, I want to turn to the audience just for a quick second and asking about the sustainability by design. Do you feel as though that's something that should be a main priority in a transformation or is that something that can be an afterthought? So I want to um, to get your feedback as well, because again, we'll kind of pull all of that information and, and analyze it and, and see what we kind of take as a, a holistic recommendation. Yeah. Be curious to hear the, the feedback from the audience as well. Well, let's go into the value of digital transformation. I really want to share this as um, it's called the show me the money article, um, which is really interesting. And what it does is it breaks down a recent study that was done by McKenzie. Um, and it actually um, so I have to tell you this is since you are, you know, a pop culture um, expert. So Cuba Gooding Jr. played Rob Tidwell in um Jerry Maguire, right? So uh, yes. he was not just voicing his concerns about the about committing to a sports agent played by Tom Cruise in this case, but also questioning Cruise's commitment to his overall value. Uh, so that's an interesting way to look <laughs> at digital transformation and actually the the lucrative value that it um, that it brings to organizations. So a few things is, is I want. Quan? Is it is this where that? you get into the? Are you going to get into the Quan? Do you remember that scene from uh, <laughs> yeah, right, Jeremy right. Maguire where Rod Tidwell says you you don't have the Quan or you're missing you're, you're looking for the Quan is the way he describes the value of life or whatever he was talking yeah. about there. Well, while I I do that in the comments here, put the Quan of of digital transformation. I again, I wish we had the rights to that clip because I would put it in there, but you can you can Google it to see kind of what we're talking about. But add that to the comments so that we can um, address that. But basically. Um, what we're looking at here is really how do you create hard value in looking at a digital transformation? So I just want to share some specific stats that um, these findings from McKenzie's corporate performance analytics, they actually look at banks. And so there's a, um, a specific niche that they're looking at within this project that they use as um, an example. And I think banks is an interesting example because they are very hard metric ROI focused. So when they look at financial metrics, they look at total shareholder return, growth, expenses, all of those different things. So when they ran a blind assessment, they were pretty uh, struck by the findings. So here are the findings. Digital leaders are creating much more shareholder value than as they call them laggards. So basically the ones that aren't modernizing their overall IT or technology infrastructure. So between 2018 and 2022, digital leaders achieved annual total short shareholder returns of eight versus 6% for the laggards. Leaders also had a significantly better return on pre-tax tangible equity 
growing from 16% in 2018 to 20% in 2022 versus a more moderate growth for the laggards, which was 14 to 15. So they outperformed basically legacy organizations with new digital transformation pieces. And so that, they argue, is creating hard value around digital transformation. As we just talked about metrics, um, we have this group of laggards or legacy system holders versus the newer digital transformation organizations. So my question to you is we look at hard metrics and value. Are Can you create that in a legacy environment or are you really going to have to go to a newer SaaS-based system um, and transition to that in order to keep a competitive advantage in your marketplace? We use banking as an example here, but I'm wondering, is that going to be a main evolution as we move into 2024? about what that looks like as far as creating a competitive advantage and staying relevant with your customers? Yeah. I mean, first of all, it's interesting to hear those metrics because I have not, I don't believe I've seen any studies that tie digital transformation and modernization to shareholder value, you know, sort of like that end result that a lot of uh, public organizations are trying to to deliver or publicly traded organizations are, are trying to deliver. And most organizations are trying to deliver business value in general. And so anytime you can tie or connect the dots between a digital initiative and actual end value, I think that's super important. I think a lot of times we, we ourselves too, as consultants, we focus on like the operational metrics and the things that are getting delivered at the more uh, operational level, but seeing how it affects the end state of shareholder value is super interesting. And I think the key there, I'd, I'd love to, see the study or the data behind the study to understand like, you know, is there a correlation between the type of technology that was deployed, whether it was SaaS or cloud or, you know, on-prem or best of breed versus single systems, you know, are there any correlations between the type of technology deployed or is it that these companies just so happen to deploy technology in a way that's very much aligned with what their business value is and their business value proposition? In which case, you know, that might suggest that it had less to do with the technology itself and more to do with the alignment of the use of technology um, in that way. So um, I, I, I've got more questions and answers, I suppose, for you on that, but it's very interesting for sure. Yeah, you know what? It's, it's such a dense article that I might send it to you and we can go into a few more pieces next week because it also goes into um, taking they took. Um, 200 large-scale digital transformations and specifically AI transformations and isolated six core capabilities that rewired these banking companies that actually did go into a digital transformation. So I think I might save that for next week to go through each one of those and we can kind of go through because there's a bunch of charts. So I might ask you to kind of post some of those on your social media and we'll post it on third stage as well to kind of get a, a more collaborative piece of feedback. But this is a really dense article in a newer study that I think it deserves a part two, if you will. I like it. Yeah, for sure. That's something we should for sure dive into. Um, well, good. Well, that's that's good stuff. I, I uh, appreciate the, the topics and especially the focus on business value and metrics. I think that's super interesting um, and good stuff. So we'll look forward to diving into that in a little bit more detail in a future episode as well. Well, good. We're going we're gonna to shift gears here and we're going to uh, bring our first guest onto the show to talk about digital and tech trends in 2024. What are the things you need to be aware of and uh, thinking about as you define a digital strategy for the coming year and years? 
Uh, we're going to have AV, who is the CEO and founder of a company called Avero Advisors, who by coincidence is also an independent and tech agnostic consulting firm that happens to focus on the public sector. Um, we're going to have him on the show and he and I are going to talk about uh, digital and tech trends for 2024. So stick around. We're going to uh, bring AV on the show and then later we'll share with you uh, the first two chapters of my new book called The Final Countdown, which is available for pre-sale right now on amazon.com and uh, it'll be released. If you buy it now, you get the discount. It'll be released on August 25th um, and you'll get the electronic copy at that point or the, the soft copy at that point. Um, so be sure to stick around later in the show. We'll share with you the first two chapters of that book as well. So uh, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. We'll be right back. When I wake up, well, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who wakes up next to you. When I go out. Hi, this is Eric Kimberling with Third Stage Consulting and your host of Transformation Ground Control. I want to encourage you to read our Guide to Organizational Change Management. It's a free report or free guide that we published. It's one that I actually wrote that talks about best practices and lessons learned as it relates to change management. So as you know, on this podcast, we cover a lot of stuff related to the human sides of change, organizational change management, including training, communications, org design, all kinds of stuff as it relates to change management. So if you're trying to learn more about change management or you're looking for more direction and ideas on how to get started on your change management strategy and your overall journey, be sure to check out this guide. You can read it by scanning the QR code on the screen in front of you or in the links below for this particular podcast episode. You can find a link to uh, take you to the page that will allow you to register to go ahead and download that and read it for free. So be sure to check it out. It's the Guide to Organizational Change Management uh, written by yours truly. I hope you enjoy it. Let me know what you think and hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 134. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. I suppose I need to stop saying Twitter and call it X because that is what it's called now, but it, it, it'll always be Twitter in my mind. So uh, apologies for my outdated uh, definition of, of that social media platform. But point being, you can find this episode or this podcast on that uh, platform as well. So I'm excited for our, our next guest. He's been on this podcast, I believe, once before. Um, he is the CEO of another or a fellow peer technology agnostic consulting firm that focuses more on the public sector. We do private and public sector, mostly private sector. Uh, he does exclusively public sector and government types of work in the technology space. Uh, his name is AV from a company called Advero Advisors, and we're going to have him on the show to talk about digital and tech trends to be aware of in 2024 and beyond. So all that being said, AV, welcome to the show. Uh, hello, audience. My name is Abhijit Verkar. Um, I just go by AV. I'm the founder and CEO at Avero Advisors. Uh, we do digital transformation and ERP consulting for state and local governments uh, across the U.S. Uh, we're based here in Maryville, Tennessee, and I see that Katie Kerr, our client, is, is on. Hi, Katie. Um, and uh, excited to be here talking about trends for 2024. Gosh, already. I know. It's already yeah. time to start thinking. We don't want to jump the gun too much, but you know, companies come up, organizations come yep. up on Q4, and that's where you're, you tend to get real serious mm -hmm. about planning yeah. for the coming year. So we thought it'd be for a great sure. time to have the conversation. Um, and one thing too, I'm going to ask you about Avero Advisors in just a moment. Maybe tell us a little bit about that. But before I do, I have to maybe share with the audience, our, our companies have two things in common. One is that we do 
you know, technology, we both do technology consulting. We're both independent tech agnostic. Mm-hmm. Um, secondly, we both made the Inc 5000 fastest growing companies. You for the third time, us for the second time in a row. So congratulations. Thank on you. That. And you too. And then third, I guess there are three things we have in common. Thirdly, uh, we are both, both of our companies are sponsoring or co-sponsoring the upcoming Stratosphere 2023 event, yep. which is in Denver, um, Colorado. In fact, I'm going to share with you a uh, link right here. You can see on your screen, if you go to stratosphere2023.com, you can register for the in-person event in Denver, Colorado. Uh, AV and I will both be there along with many other speakers. So be sure to check out the website. And today is actually the deadline for the early bird pricing. And you save a lot mm-hmm. of money if you register by the end of today. And I'm not just saying that in a salesy kind of way, like, you know, buy today and you save X yeah. amount of money. The deadline is actually August 15th to get the early bird uh, discount. So um, just coincidentally uh, here today. So be sure to check it out and hope to see many of you there in person. That's stratosphere2023.com. So we've got a lot in common. Our two companies have a lot in common. Maybe tell us a little bit about your background in, in Avero too, just your yeah. upbringing and that sort of thing. Sure thing. Um, so I, I grew up in India, uh, you know, and I moved to the States in 2022. Um, and growing up in, in India, if you're a, if you've got the grades, you're expected to go to, uh, med school or engineering, right? So, uh, around 15, I, I made the decision to tell my parents that I, I don't want to do that. Um, I want to be a chef. Um, but I was always the, and you know, they, they lost their mind at me for the, for the very first time, I think. And, uh, that wasn't a great idea. So the compromise position was that I went to uh, get degrees in accounting and finance, uh, but I always had a technical bent. Like I was the kid that opened up radios to see what was inside, put them back together, and uh, I also started a uh, tech company in uh, in Goa, my hometown, uh, in when I was eighteen, and we built websites for people um, that didn't have computers or didn't know what the internet was. So it was just bad timing. But fast forward to getting my second master's degree in in finance, and I realized I don't want to work in accounting or finance. And I stumbled upon the world of uh, ERP consulting and digital transformations, where I could really use both sides of my my brain to sort of build a career out of helping people redesign processes and modernize uh, using technology. So that's what my background is. And in 2016, I started Avero. Uh, advisors to focus on the local government uh, in the U.S., uh, in Maryville, Tennessee. And my idea was that, and still is, that that our clients are underserved. I know yours are, uh, especially uh, from a consulting perspective. There's a lot of software vendors out there, and every day our clients are batting away phone calls and emails from thousands of vendors saying, this is the product that's going to change your life, but they have no idea. Because they have day jobs, they've been, uh, you know, mayors, they're police officers, they are city managers that that don't necessarily have the in-depth knowledge, and that's where we come in. So Vero focuses on helping those clients uh, cut through the noise and modernize their processes. Right, and it's interesting because we, you and I met, and technically we're competitors, right? Like we we are competing for the same to do the same kind of work, but then we learned yeah, yeah. getting to know one another, like we can actually coexist and maybe yeah. even get along, and maybe even collaborate on some stuff. Yeah, we we have been. We have been collaborating digitally and and um, uh, with business, so it's been great. Eric. Yeah, it has been great. Great partnership between our mm-hmm. our two uh, firms. So, I, I want to turn to the audience too, and thank you for everyone for dropping in the chat where you're from. We've got people from all over the world, as I mentioned, uh, Vietnam, Denver, Colorado, uh, City of Maryville, uh, India, Anthem, Arizona, Dallas, Texas, yeah. um, Raleigh, North Carolina, 
Saudi Arabia, Johannesburg, South Africa, India, wow. Turkey, India again. So thank you everyone yeah. uh, for joining all over the world, especially at odd times of the day and evening uh, for those of you there in different yeah. time zones than us. And happy Independence Day in India. Yes. 15th of August. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. It, uh, yeah actually, today is Independence Day. It is. I did not know yeah. that. So yeah. happy yeah. Independence Day to everyone that's either in India or from India. So it's a very uh, interesting coincidence there. Well, good. And, and again, feel free to drop in the chat as well, whatever stream you're watching on, uh, any questions you might have, and we'll we'll get to those questions as well. But I'm going to start with a few basic ones just to get us started here, AV. And I guess just to start, when you look at 2023 so far, we're not through with 2023, mm -hmm. but we're far enough in that we kind of know how things are shaping up. What are what are some of the biggest trends that you saw materialize in 2023 or the ones that you're most excited about that you really saw emerge and become yeah. more reality here this year? So a few things, right? We we um, we focus on local government. So we went to the GFOA conference in May, in Portland. Had a good, you know, decent presence. We had a booth. We met a lot of interesting uh, clients and prospects, and uh, a few things stood out. One is the uh, reinforcement that the world needs third-party independent, truly independent consultants. A lot of uh, CFOs came up to me and said, "Well, we've been working with so and so vendor that I can't name." as that claims to be third party, but they're not. They always recommend a certain vendor. They don't really study our processes. They've given us copy-paste deliverables. So it was heartening to see that uh, truly independent consulting firms like ours have a place and a, and a solid opportunity here. Um, the second thing is that, especially in my uh, field, uh, local governments, the, the field has been dominated by one or two vendors over the last 20 years, especially in the mid-market sector. And we're seeing a lot of interest from the big boys, Oracle, uh, Workday, uh, NetSuite, OpenGov's coming up. A lot of new players coming into the market that's giving our clients a lot of choice, which is good. And the third thing is the emergence of artificial intelligence. Often used word that's kind of turned into a buzzword, but we're actually playing with some data sets and trying to help some clients put up uh, proofs of concept to see how it can really improve lives for the executives and people doing the work. What about you? Yeah, I mean, those are those are similar trends to what we're seeing. Yeah. I mean, certainly the rise and in, in the the rise of the need of or need for independent tech agnostic consulting and advisory mm -hmm. services. I think that is a trend that is continuing to uh, develop. And as firms like Avero and Third Stage, you know, as companies like ours become more prominent and more well known, and people just know that this is an option, I think there's more, you know, obviously more demand. A lot of times organizations don't realize you have these third-party tech agnostic options out there until they meet someone like you or I and, and yeah. learn about our companies. But a lot of people still don't know that this whole segment of the market exists. Mm -hmm. um, and then AI, you know, that is something that's becoming um, more and more uh, prevalent, especially with ChatGPT and Dolly and some of the consumer facing usage of uh, AI. Um, you know, so that I think is what's bringing it into the mainstream for people in general, and that's sort of bleeding over into the enterprise space as well. But I'm curious to hear from you, you know, on the AI front, that's one, you know, if I had to pick one tech mm -hmm. trend that seems to be accelerating the most, it seems like that's, that's it. Yeah. And I'm curious to hear from you, you know, in a, in a government slash public sector sort of environment, that's not usually what you think of, or what I think of when I think of a, a, an early adopter of AI, mm -hmm. but it sounds like you, you have some clients that are leveraging AI. Can you give some examples of how you know, yeah. some, some of your clients are starting to use AI in their day-to-day -day operations or how they will be. Yeah. And, and I'll address the uh, surprise element, right? It, 
governments have the unique advantage of being behind the times and sometimes by design. Uh, they are two or three generations behind. They're still using older technologies. So when they do get leadership that's interested in modernization, they can leapfrog. They can learn from the private sector. They can they know what frogs have been kissed and should not go there. So they can leapfrog. So five years ago, it was the leap to SaaS, right? Our clients that were on AS400s, green screens, didn't have to go through on-premise ERP implementations. They didn't have to employ a bunch of programmers in their basements to build a system for them anymore. They just moved from the homegrown AS400s green screens to the SaaS environment. I think it's a similar moment. The clients now that are, you won't believe this, but they're still on green screens. They're now moving to SaaS environments that are AI enabled. We are doing a lot of AI enabled consulting to speed things up, to, to button up things quicker, to study business processes and mind business processes. Um, and I think the biggest impact is going to be on the reporting side because we see successful implementations that go live and the system's production in production and it's working, and yet it doesn't do any kind of meaningful reporting for the end user, for the executive, right? You have to old school ask somebody to build your report or create your own dashboards, and it's just a cumbersome process. I think that piece is getting uh, short-circuited. It's going to get... Uh, there's going to be a shortcut between data and reporting uh, that will not involve writing custom reports. I'm really, really excited about natural language processing, natural language reporting, where a non-techie executive can just ask questions of the system through a bot or through Alexa or Siri and get the answers they need right away. Um, and that's something that uh, I'm starting to see in our clientele. Yeah, that's super interesting. And that that conversational aspect of accessing information and data, it seems like that's sort of a low-hanging fruit for a lot of organizations. If they don't know where to start with AI, you know, maybe mm -hmm. they like the concept of AI, they've heard all about it, you know, yeah. maybe they've tested it with ChatGPT and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But but the question becomes, well, how do you apply that to the enterprise? And that those, yeah. those seem to be some of the low-hanging fruits. I'd be curious to hear from the audience too where you're seeing AI being used or are you seeing AI being used with your organizations or companies you work with? Love to hear from the audience where you're seeing AI or maybe any other emerging tech being used uh, in, in different creative ways. We're here with AV talking about digital and tech trends to be aware of in 2024 and beyond. We've got a lot more to cover. We're gonna take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, Contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 134. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday 
on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. And you can also go to transformationgroundcontrol.com um, to get access to uh, past episodes and current episodes of the show as well. So we're here with AV talking about digital and tech trends in 2024 and beyond and the things you should be aware of and the things you should know as you define your digital strategies for 2024 and beyond. So let's jump back into the conversation. Where do you see AI going? I know, you know, before this discussion, before we went live, you were talking about how you're, you're kind of knee deep in some AI mm -hmm. um, aspects of, of your client work right now. Where do you think AI is going to head in the, in the coming, you know, in 2024 and beyond? Yeah, I think so. The the fallacy in in uh, of AI is that it's only GPT or it's only conversational. A lot of this has been in the works for decades, right? You have uh, pioneering companies like Microsoft, especially that they they have spent a lot of money and time on it, and then they opened up ChatGPT to us six months ago, and that's what they want us to see. So there's a lot going on in in the background that's coming up that. Honestly, even you know you and I are not so aware of, but we'll we'll find ways to make it useful. That's our job. So where I see it going is in uh, customer service. We're going to see a huge improvement. Again, back to my clients, right? A lot of them are public housing agencies um, that rely a lot on paperwork, that rely on case management, um, that rely on um, uh, social workers to get their work through. And these people are constantly at a window talking to people, interacting with them. And given the labor market we're all in, uh, they're facing turnover as much as we are. So a caseworker of 20 years just left to go work in a software company, a caseworker that worked there for 15 years just retired. So you're losing knowledge and the ability to deal with people that are seeking um, support in bad times. So we're going to see a lot of those conversations turned into AI conversations with the ability to dig through decades worth of data immediately instead of having to have people come back and then deal with their application. So speed of um, delivery will be, will be enhanced in the next couple of years. In the next six months, if we do this right, as consultants, as clients, we're going to see natural language reporting um, right away. Right, Microsoft's gonna uh, release Copilot here pretty soon. Um, I don't know if you've seen it on LinkedIn, but they have a little design button now that, uh, for non-creatives like me, it's a it's a godsend. Right, you just click a button and it and it uh, creates a graphic for you. So in small ways and large, AI is gonna take over. It already is taking over um, our work environments, and I don't say that in a negative way. It's never gonna to me. It's not gonna replace a human worker because you still need somebody to uh, set strategic direction, to interpret data, to deal with people more than anything else. Yeah. Yeah. That, I think that's interesting how AI can could really be used as a way to replace that dependency on tribal knowledge, you know, because mm -hmm. you've got those people like the case workers you're describing or the examples yeah. you describe, people that have been around for 15, 20, 30 years and replacing that knowledge is very difficult. And while you don't want to assume that it's okay to have attrition and it's, it's okay to lose people. You always want to do what you can to build a culture where people stay and want to be there, that sort of thing, yeah. of course. But knowing that you have technology that can hedge against that risk of losing some of that tribal knowledge is, is a pretty big deal. It could be a game changer for, for a lot of organizations. Yep, truly. So here's a question from, from Kyler on LinkedIn, and this is a, a good question. She asked it in the context of, of the public sector, but, but I'll, maybe we could cover both angles, public and private sector. 
But what is the state of best of breed tech in the public sector? Will we see focus areas mm-hmm. in government tech or, you know, kind of what is the state of best of breed yeah. in general from what you're seeing with your clients? So I think transparency is a big deal with, with our clientele. Um, uh, you, we've seen a lot of open data portals um, that have been deployed uh, in the public sector, uh, yet they still rely on older technology. So that's the cool thing. You may have a broken green screen AS400 in the back, but companies like OpenAI and OpenGov, uh, not OpenAI, OpenGov will help you plug into those data sets and provide meaningful reporting on historical data. Now, there's a lot of implementation effort that goes in there. So I don't know what they're doing on the AI front to automate and make it speedier. Um, and then the other thing we're seeing is uh, customer service, like I mentioned earlier. And in terms of um, public safety, we're seeing a lot of modif- uh, modernization and upgraded environments in, in terms of automation, transparency again, uh, we're working with uh, large cities, uh, police department to overhaul all of their systems, and they're still doing work on carbon paper. But the same leapfrog effect can be found there, right? They're going to go with a an AI-based SaaS cloud-hosted um, records management system that talks to other systems. It might seem like, yeah, this was 20 years ago for those in the private sector, but my clients are still dealing with these things. Right. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Very interesting, and I think the good news for enterprise buyers and organizations that are thinking about new technologies is you have so many options now. You have these best of breed options that address specific functional needs or specific industry needs, but you also have sort of the single inter- integrated enterprise wide ERP systems as well, and then you also have uh, platforms as well. These, mm-hmm. these platforms like you know uh, Salesforce. Salesforce's yeah. force and other HubSpot, yeah, all of these yeah, things. HubSpot and mm-hmm. yeah, Palantir and Snowflake are sort of uh, the interoperability slash business intelligence slash analytics yeah. uh, sort of uh, model. So you have got all these different niche categories that you can be pursuing, and, and it's interesting because it's sort of like a, it creates a tension. I think a healthy tension in the marketplace where you always have you know these pros and cons and trade offs and these upstarts that are trying to address deficiencies in the market, and it just gives you a lot of options, but it can also be overwhelming for organizations that don't know where to start so be curious yeah. to see where that where that goes in the future well and and there's also the the you know not the fight but the tension between different functional areas which is why i go back to us not being necessarily technology consultants yes we are but how many times have we done therapy and change management more than the technology so right. that doesn't go away no matter what ai you use or how advanced your systems are um so that leads me to, you know, we had a conversation yesterday with a new client that talked about, well, we're in this for a for a organization-wide ERP system, and we have this one pocket in our organization that wants to buy a standalone best of breed solution. How do you deal with this? And our response to that was really, you, you don't deal with it. You let the chips fall based on your requirements and what your integration points are. And who knows, there might be a best of breed solution. So I think the understanding that one specific system can't do it all for you uh, is also blossoming. But at the same time, it can be a fallacy because it, you know, you really need to look at your operations and your requirements before you make those decisions. You can't go at it from uh, just the software perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, as much as technology is changing, it seems like 
the non-technological components of transformation are not changing in some ways it, for both better and for worse. It seems like, mm -hmm. you know, one hand organizations are not paying enough attention to some of the non-technical aspects, especially as technology becomes more advanced, it becomes easier just to focus on the technology and not to worry or to neglect um, some yeah. of the other pieces. But on the flip side, we need to change the way we think about transformations. And yes, mm -hmm. we need to be aware of technology. And to your point, we need to be technologists and understand what these technologies can do. But what's even more important is understanding the business and how it, we can merge the two and integrate yeah. the, the people, the process and the technology. Absolutely. Yeah. Great, great points there. Um, here's a question from um, Dennis, who is also from India. And I hope you're enjoying your Independence Day in India, Dennis. But Dennis on LinkedIn asks about adversarial attacks. How would or could artificial intelligence manage that? Are you seeing anything on that front yet in terms of cybersecurity and yeah. using AI to help mitigate some of that risk? Yeah, I think AI has been around in, in that sense for a few years now. Um, using things like SIMS, you can uh, predict or at least be notified of, of oncoming attacks before they actually happen. So a lot of that is going on. What you might see uh, as advancements is how to respond to it, right? Again, going back to the labor shortage or, or who knows where people are flocking to work. But in the tech sector, you have a dearth of um, high-skilled labor that can respond to those attacks. And I'm not talking about cybersecurity agencies or companies. Think about your agency that just got notified that that they're under ransomware attack, and you have a rookie under one year help desk person that's now at three in the morning manning the desk responsible to uh, respond to this and cannot get in touch with anybody. How do you respond to that? So AI will help in again knowledge retention and using chatbots. They can quickly get to policies and procedures, uh, protocols on how to respond to something. And all of that can be built in on the back end. So I saw a demo the other day that was reading data from uh, CrowdStrike into a state's uh, help desk system. And if you and I were to, to be plopped in there at 3 in the morning, Eric, we could quickly search for the state's specific protocols, uh, policies, and and things to do when a certain kind of attack happens or incident happens. And I think that's going to be pivotal because you can now sit anyone there that's not necessarily a super technical person to at least respond at level one. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Back in sort of back to your, your customer service point too, you know, mm -hmm. so it's, it's that uh, same sort of functionality or ability to create that human like interaction uh, that could, that could help on the IT support and the cybersecurity yeah. side of things as well. Mm -hmm. We're here with AV talking about digital and tech trends to be aware of in 2024 and beyond. We've got a lot more to cover. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are involved in any sort of digital transformation or business change initiative, you will want to download the 2021 Digital Transformation Report. With its comprehensive overview of business and technology trends and best practices, this report is a must-have guide for any transformation project or executive team. Download this free report by visiting Third Stage Consulting at thirdstage-consulting.com. You can also visit our website to learn more about us or 
download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success. I'm Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 134. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. And you can also go to transformationgroundcontrol.com um, to get access to uh, past episodes and current episodes of the show as well. So we're here with AV talking about digital and tech trends in 2024 and beyond and the things you should be aware of and the things you should know as you define your digital strategies for 2024 and beyond. So let's jump back into the conversation. What about, um, here's a, another question from Kyler. Uh, this is a really interesting one. Um, Kyler is interested in AV's thoughts on emerging markets globally. How can government support infrastructure development to promote technology implementations? So maybe if we sort of broaden that and just look at government involvement in AI or and or the way technology is implemented, can or should the government be involved? Not to get too political, and I know every you know every government throughout the world is going to have a different philosophy on this. Sure. Um, but I'm just curious in general: Do you think government will need to play a role in helping these sorts of technology deployments be more successful, and or hedging the risk of the displacement of AI uh, on the labor force and that sort of thing? Or what are your thoughts you, about that? Yeah, you you can't answer that without getting a little political. But you know, the the internet and everything we do now—that's our livelihood was started by the government in some form or another, right? The DARPA projects and um, the web projects. Yes, the research and private institutions had a lot to do with it. But again, the funding came from um, the government to kickstart these things. Um, I think we're at a similar point in um, the deployment of broadband. A lot has been talked about. The, the access, the inequality. And I know that through the through the infrastructure bill, there's a lot of money being spent on fiber optic deployments. And I've been in many meetings talking about these uh, deployments, and there seems to be no cohesive plan on how to use those funds. In the end, if they're going to end up in the pockets of the large 800-pound gorillas in the uh, connectivity market, then it's not going to do any good. So government has a has a big role to play today in digital equity, uh, but my personal philosophy is that they need to be in the business of building infrastructure and not necessarily in the business of delivering broadband themselves. So that's, that's one. And then on the AI side, you know, all the horror stories you hear about how AI is going to kill us all and, and start nuclear war. Um, someone's got their finger on the button right now, right? It's not AI, it's a human. So Right. There are there are guardrails we've put in place in the last 50 years for nuclear non-proliferation. I think the similar levels of care need to be taken with AI. Um, and I've, I've heard a lot of leading thoughts on um, how there needs to be a UN-type organization that does nothing else but um, protect uh, AI and the boundaries it sets. But who knows? I, I, I really don't know. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's not dissimilar to what Elon Musk has said, for example. I mean, he's made comments about how he thinks that, that the development and the evolution of AI needs to slow down and that the government, I don't know if he specifically said he thinks government should play that role, but he's sort of suggesting that someone, and I presume it would be the government, would need to step in and 
and uh, put those guardrails in place and make sure that we have a plan for what happens when X percent of the labor force potentially gets displaced in, in a society because of AI. Yeah. What are we going to do, you know, as a society to protect those people and to, you know, help with that adjustment? I think that's the, that's the part we don't know. And then we're mm-hmm. still trying to feel out. Yeah. Um, let's see here. And uh, another similarity, uh, Kyler points out on LinkedIn that uh, we both have uh, <laughs> birthdays that are close together. We're both August uh, birthdays, I believe it, yep. it is, both Leo's. Although you're quite a bit younger than me. Um, I was going to say one of us is much older, but you, you gave it <laughs> up. But like someone said to me, um, like a fine whiskey or a fine yeah. wine, you know, it gets better with time. You know, yes. that's what I'm telling myself now that I'm now that I'm 50. Yeah. Um, and you are not 50, so I, I won't no. reveal your age, no. but it's it's quite, it's, quite a ways though. Yeah, he's got, you, you got plenty of time to enjoy your, your youth. Uh, well, good. Um, how about... Um, so beyond those, so you talked about three trends you saw emerging and sort of developing in 2023. If you try to predict the future and use your crystal ball to think about 24 and beyond, not just with AI, but just tech in general, what do you think is going to change? What do you think is going to evolve? What's going to surprise us? Where, where do you see us headed here? So um, I think I think the good news for us is the proliferation of the understanding that third-party independent consultants have a have a big role to play in this. A lot of our prospects, like I said, they, they don't know where to begin. They have the right visions. They have the right ideas. They want to get away from whoever uh, vendor it is that, that's you know creating um, a bad environment for them. They want to modernize. They want to embrace all of these technologies. They don't know where to begin. And, a, and having a day job for a CFO of a, let's just say, a school system or a county government or transit agency it's a full-time job you're you're looking after billions of dollars in taxpayer uh, funding you don't necessarily have the time to just sit back and think about how you want to modernize your organization so that understanding of our profession and how important it is not just for visioning and strategizing but also to handhold them through the process of selecting the right components of technology how to use AI, how to deploy it safely, how to keep their data secure. All of that needs to be really well thought out. I think that trend is accelerating uh, and more and more people are understanding that thinking about digital modernization is think is like thinking about building a new school building or a police station. You can't just do it yourself. Um, right. You have to have architects and contract managers and construction workers that that actually get the work done and done right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's, that's very true. And, and, uh, you know, you talked a little bit too about the the labor market and skills shortages, labor shortages. It's, it's interesting and surprising to me how the labor market has not really recovered fully from COVID. It, and I think mm-hmm. it's permanently changed. I mean, I think there's yeah. something that has just shifted in the labor market as far as people's willingness to work. And a lot of people didn't return back to work. A lot of, you know, a lot of people left the workforce to become parents full time and and, mm-hmm. and or went back to school. And it just seemed like that COVID really disrupted the labor market in a way that we're still feeling the ripple effects, um, similar to supply chains too. supply chains are still sort of a mess in many ways. Um, three and a half years later, you know, after after the lockdown started. Um, but I think those are sort of two realities, too, that we've got to continue to navigate is to your point. If we're going through a transformation, chances are pretty high that we don't have a lot of resources internal, and we probably have a lot less internal staff than we used to. 
Mm-hmm. And even if we do, and of those resources we do have, a lot of them are working hybrid or remote. And how do you manage them and get them involved in a project when you're, you know, you're not in the same place? I mean, those are things that we all just have to continue to get used to and yeah. adapt to, it seems like. Yeah. And and the other thing too, Eric, is is being on site is valuable, right? Um, people have Zoom fatigue and yeah. we have, um, we like being on site. Uh, I know you do too. Yeah. As far as practical, we want to be on site and, and look into the client's eyes and feel their pain and live and breathe the environment and the business practices and processes. And that just delivers better value. I think Zoom fatigue will be uh, real. It's real now. It's, people are over it. I think we're going to start seeing a lot more business travel and on-site presence next year. Um, and of course, we'll have to, on our end, be diligent about uh, building those costs into the pricing, but overall, it's, I think it's gonna it delivers better product and services, and I I'm seeing that come back in force. Yeah, yeah, likewise, and and mm-hmm. um, I think especially when you look at some of our clients in the, for example, the manufacturing or the distribution space where you have shop floor workers, warehouse clerks, people that don't have the option to work from home and we're all sitting here mm-hmm. in our, you know, in our offices talking about how we could be working at home and yeah. should we be working at home? And then, you know, 95% or whatever the world doesn't have that luxury yeah. or that option. Right. And so to be able to empathize and be able to relate to these people that don't have that option, I mean, you sort of have to get out in front of them and understand what they do out on the shop floor and how their processes work. And to your point, you live and breathe their culture and their processes and their operations and their life, you know, their day-to-day lives. I think that's all all stuff that we tend to, I think we forgot a little bit about that human piece of it during COVID and, and got caught up amongst ourselves of whether or not we should be working from home or remotely while at the same time realizing the world continued, you know, most of the world continued to work in person, even during the peaks of COVID yeah. because they had no choice. And so I think we've got to recognize that and kind of adapt to that going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, here's a, just an interesting comment from uh, YouTube. This is from Zlat- Zlatan. Latin on uh, on YouTube. Isn't that Great a stream. famous soccer player? What are you doing in the ERP world? Yeah. Is it is it? So you know you know more about soccer than I do. Yeah, I don't. Maybe. <laughs> but he says, "Great stream, Eric. I'm a recent graduate who chose not to pursue finance, which was his degree, much like UAV, and decided to enter into the ERP world, where I'm now working for a Microsoft partner in a business central implementation company. So congratulations on." Yeah. Good move. Career pivot sounds similar to your yeah. your journey, AB, going mm-hmm. from finance to uh, the technology side of things. Yeah, you know the world needs people like us that that understand um, understand finance and and accounting and and the and the back end of what you're trying to do with software because you can't just rely on uh, developers and engineers when it comes to that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's very very true. Football. Yes, football. Yes, we every, we erroneously refer to it as soccer, and Kyler uh, corrected us. It should be uh, football. So thank you for that uh, correction. That's that's the American uh, the American in us both, I suppose, that are yeah. drawing that out. Um, so let's talk a little bit about tech trends. I think I think a lot of the tech trends you've talked about are universal across yeah. public sector and pri- private sector. Is there anything that you think is affecting government in the public sector differently than the private sector. You talked about the leapfrogging dynamic, mm-hmm. which is super interesting that in the mm-hmm. public sector, there's maybe a little bit more of a, an opportunity and a, and a luxury to be able to leapfrog, you know, where they are today and where they're, yeah. they're going to be in the future. 
that might be a little bit different with government to where they're taking some bigger, uh, not risks, but they're taking bigger gambles or bigger, yep. they're investing more heavily in technology in some ways. Mm -hmm. What are some other things that you see that potential differences between private and public sector in terms of trends and where they're headed? Well, in general, uh, the public sector tends to follow the private sector. So if things have worked for the private sector, well, it's going to get adopted. Um, but things like, again, it, it's, it's slower adoption rates, but they're getting there. Things like using GIS as a central technology for running everything in a city is starting to become more prevalent. Um, GIS for everything, customer service to paying your tax bills to your water bills, all of that's becoming front and center. Um, and again, it might seem like, well, it should have happened already. It hasn't. It, and slowly it's proliferating. Um, and then uh, back to my point on customer service, I think it's most, it's prevalent everywhere, right? We're working with a city uh, here in the South that really struggling with uh, permit applications. They have a system, everything's online, but it's been designed by engineers and um, IT folks, well-meaning. But if I go on to apply for a permit, it'll take me an hour just to create the accounts they want me to create. So it's not very intuitive. So there are players out there that are finding these opportunities to become the middlemen, right? So an ERP system will take two or three years to implement uh, in a worst case. And the mayor's up for election this year and really wants to fix their um, whatever process, permit improve, uh, improvements, customer service, anything that lets people from Let's people do business with the city or the county from home or elsewhere without having to come into city hall. So there are uh, vendors and software that kind of become this mid-layer. They'll take your existing processes, plug it into your existing older systems while you're looking for newer systems and create a modern-looking facade for, um, uh, for data intake and interaction with the data. This isn't a new concept. I mean, we've had... Uh, uh, front-end forms for many years, for decades. Right. But, the, you know, the workflow capabilities of these tools are pretty fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I think that's how companies and vendors like Palantir and, yeah. and Snowflake have really, you know, they, they've really tapped into that need in the market, which is, okay, maybe you're not going to replace your back-end ERP systems overnight, and most organizations are not going to. Um, so what are your options? And, and they provide a good option and alternative for companies that either are going to take some time to replace their systems, or, you know, maybe they're going to preserve a certain amount of their legacy systems. And they just want that sort of single source of truth and, uh, data source, you know, to have that visibility into multiple systems. We're here with AV talking about digital and tech trends to be aware of in 2024 and beyond. We've got a lot more to cover. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more transformation ground control. Are you looking to stay ahead of the curve in the ever-changing landscape of digital transformation? Then you need our newly released 2023 Digital Transformation Report. This comprehensive report covers the latest trends, technologies, and strategies to ensure your digital transformation is optimized for success. The 2023 Digital Transformation Report is packed full of proven methodologies and insights from experts in the independent digital transformation field. 
you'll also receive practical insights on how to implement digital transformation strategies within your unique organization. This free report is available for download on our website at thirdstage-consulting.com under our thought leadership section. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 134. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. And you can also go to transformationgroundcontrol.com um, to get access to uh, past episodes and current episodes of the show as well. So we're here with AV talking about digital and tech trends in 2024 and beyond and the things you should be aware of and the things you should know as you define your digital strategies for 2024 and beyond. So let's jump back into the conversation. Here's a question that I think is a super interesting one, especially it's sort of jumping back a little bit to AI or it is jumping back to the AI thread, but I wanna come back to this because I think it's really important. This is from Bill on YouTube. Bill says, what are your thoughts on AI in the healthcare market? How far do you think AI will affect patient customer experience in 2024? And I know you guys don't work a lot directly with healthcare, but I think you, you touch it a little bit just given your, your public sector work. Do you have any thoughts yeah. on that? It seems like that might be another industry um, outside the public sector that is really ripe for AI and, and yeah. some of the advancements that could happen in AI with all the you know data mm -hmm. and paperwork intensive aspects and the regulatory intensive aspects of healthcare. What are, you, what are your thoughts there? I think, uh, so we we don't work with healthcare directly, but we, we do a lot of work with health and human services, mm -hmm. kind of related, right? How do you get um, welfare? How do you get uh, healthcare benefits like Medicaid, Medicare, uh, quickly to people that deserve it is is what we've helped some states with. So in that use case, uh, the casework and the customer service aspect is very critical because you spend a lot of time in taking forms, doing interviews, giving people information, looking at past data, um, and in in cases like uh, not necessarily healthcare related, but uh, public housing. You have a wait list of people waiting to get housed. And on the other hand, you have empty houses that these agencies sit on because they can't quickly process people. So in healthcare, I can see, I can see uh, applications in uh, diagnostics, right? Based on my personal history, uh, health history, plugging it through some kind of AI engine and the doctor can look at everything and without making uh, guesstimates or guesses and i'm not saying doctors do that some do i've had you know spent some time in the hospital in the last couple of years but uh it was uh it didn't seem very data driven it's training based and it's it's heuristics i think a lot of that's going to get taken away with ai um on the serving the patient side and on the reporting side of course you know you're 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 not looking at 15 different reports to find the one thing you your insurance company asked for on a patient side. I think that's what I'm most interested and excited about uh, on the healthcare side is just access to my own data. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you think about, you know, just how intense some of those processes are and think about every time you go to the doctor and all the paperwork you've got to fill out again, even though you were just there yeah. a year ago or whatever, and you've still got to fill out all this new paperwork and just all the data that gets captured along the way. And I think AI, you know, there's probably some great opportunities to not only streamline the process, but also potentially improve some of the outcomes of the diagnosis and the analysis and the 
human flaws that even doctors and professionals might have as far as missing, mm-hmm. you know, misdiagnosing something or being able to use data to look for patterns and trends to help solve right. medical and health problems. I think there's a big opportunity there, both short-term and long-term for, for healthcare as well. Yeah. And I think in ingesting data like um, DNA websites, right? We've all given, most of us have to ancestry.com. Now you can buy additional services from them that tell you what risk you might be at based on your DNA and genetical history. Uh, so combining that with actual historical medical data what should produce some exciting, interesting results. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so given some of these emerging trends with AI and some of the other things we're talking about, you know, some of the interoperability technologies, we talked about best of breed versus single ERP systems. Um, you know, technology is changing fast, and I think it's fair to say it's accelerating, right? The, the, mm. the rate of change with technology is not slowing down. If anything, it's speeding up. What What do we need to do differently as organizations as and implementation teams? How do we How do we navigate that pace of change without losing sight of the non technological stuff that you started to talk about earlier? What, what do mm. we need to do different? I mean, if we were going to change something going forward in twenty four and beyond, what What do we do different to navigate all this? I think I think it comes down to um, what outcomes you're looking for, and this is what we profess all day. Tell us about the outcomes you want. Forget about what systems you're looking at, uh, and then based on a desired outcome, you need to back yourself into your technical functional requirements that then might match up with a specific system. Um, and then treating people like people again. This is this is a tech blog podcast, but you and I can agree that it comes down success and failure in a tech project, especially in the ERP project comes down to how well the people were managed, mm-hmm. how well their excitement, their enthusiasm throughout the project, how well conflicts were managed, how well risk was managed. It all comes down to that. And if the product works at a basic level, it's going to work. So not losing sight of the people aspect is very important. Uh, it's one of our core values as a company. And um, I think that should remain a trend forever. Yeah. Yeah. And it is one of those things that as technology continues to change, it's one of those things that you, it should stay the same is you still mm-hmm. need to focus on people, maybe even more so than you have in the past because the impact is greater and the potential yeah. business value is, is greater than it's For ever sure. been. Yeah. Right. Um, and then, uh, Kyler is here in the background, keeping us on track here, making sure we cover uh, an important agenda item here, which is uh, her question is before you guys wrap up. And those of that don't know, by the way, Kyler is part of the third stage team. She's my podcast co-host. Um, but she says, before you guys wrap up, can we get a sneak peek into your collaborative session at digital stratosphere? So you and I are doing this we're, we've talked about it. We're still working on the details, Yeah, but maybe we can sort of give a sneak peek of what we're thinking as far as what this session that you and I are going to do together yeah. um, at I- stratosphere. So we've talked about similarities, right? Birthdays and things we like and and the businesses we are in. There's a few things we disagree on. And we haven't really got into it on air. And I think that's what we're going to do at Stratosphere. I want to take you on in a debate on the things. There's not many, maybe five things that you and I have different views on uh, when it comes to our businesses. So we're going to be debating. Yes, it's going to be AV versus EK. You know, it's kind of like an epic clash of the titans. Yeah. You know, let's, yeah. let's battle it out on stage in front of everyone and, yeah. and maybe let people pick a winner. I don't know. We haven't figured that out yeah. yet. Yeah, we'll we, take bets. But we'll it's, bets not, it's not 
it's not physical combat. Just making sure, right? Well, we don't know. We can't it, say it's for not sure. A case <laughs> It might turn physical. I mean, we might get super irritated with each other. I, and I, I know. Throw things at you. That's but it. I think it's, you know, one thing we're, we've talked about too is even on things we agree on, I think you and I are similar in that we see the gray areas on a continuum of options. Mm-hmm. And so I think sort of predefining a stance that we're going to take, like, for example, we were talking about um, best of breed versus single ERP. You know, what you and I'll pick a side, right? And we'll argue mm-hmm. that side because you can make a pretty strong argument on both sides. Yeah. And so we'll have a moderator that'll say, okay, AV, what do you think? And you're going to say, you know, single ERP is the way to go. And I'm going to say, nope, it's best of breed. Yeah. And here's why. And we're going to have a little debate uh, back and forth on on yeah. topics like that. So yeah. that's sort of what we're envisioning. It might end in uh, physical mortal combat of some sort. We're not sure. Well, you'll have to, yeah. you'll have to attend to find out uh, yeah. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, so that's another reason to come to Stratosphere to hear uh, different perspectives and uh, mm-hmm. all, all the, the nuances of decisions like that that need to be made. Um, so I guess just looking forward then, what, what else should organizations be thinking about? If I'm on a project team or I'm part of an organization that's getting ready for a transformation in 2024, or maybe we're doing some initial planning now, we're mobilizing resources, we're creating a strategy, maybe we're evaluating technolo- technology options. What are some of the other things that we should be thinking about as organizations and project teams as we enter yeah. Q4 and 2024? So in my world, I like asking two questions. One is, uh, why this, why now? Right? Why are you doing this? And what's going on? Who's pressuring you? Is there is there the council? Is there someone else? Why are you doing this now? You've, you've been through uh, life with crappy systems and bad processes for 20 plus years and you were in charge mr mayor or or city manager or ceo why are you doing this now the second question i like asking is who's in charge um we had a we won a new contract and it seemed like it was a in my world everything happens with committee right you you have Mm -hmm. 20 people uh, voting on your fate on whether or not you get the contract so when we do, I like asking the question of who's in charge, because you know, in a large, um, large-scale implementation, there's going to be fights. There are going to be decision points. There are going to be points where you have to put your foot down, and there are decisions that us as consultants can't make for the organization. So it's really important that people have a sense of why they're doing this, why they're doing it now, what the outcome should be. And on a day-to-day basis, who's in charge on their side? Because, you know, as consultants, we can make decisions at the project level. But if, if it's something that impacts the organization, the board, uh, there has to be somebody there that makes the decision. And I think on the private side, you you, you know, you have the CEO, obviously. Um, we have to tell our clients to put someone in charge because it, it depends. Sorry, Kyler. Yes, get me that mug. But depends on what the organization is made up of and how they're set up and it's not always clear who who the you know uh grandmaster decision maker is yeah yeah and it's and and kyler did suggest in hashtag it depends mug um we might start selling it on these podcasts for a limited time for Uh 9.99 buy this uh buy this mug um but you're right i mean as technology changes and as the opportunities to deploy new and different and leapfrog sorts of technologies within an organization continue to advance and accelerate. 
it becomes even more important that we are aligned as an organization and that we have a clear strategy and plan to sort of cut through all the noise that comes along with new technology and bells and whistles and and just having a, a deliberate strategy and a deliberate pace at which you're going to go through the transformation because it can be easy to your point earlier about leapfrogging technologies mm -hmm. it can be easy just to bite off more than you can chew and just go after ai and predictive analytics and a new yeah. erp system and all this new stuff you could do that you may want to need to do longer term but it's not going to happen overnight so how do you pace yourself to make sure you're getting the most value and you're not disrupting the business more than yeah. you need to i think that's the that becomes even more important yeah. as, as time goes on here and that's where we come in right the the first thing you do and i think you guys call it phase zero is just sit down and plan this whiteboard it make Gantt charts, make plans, make plans, make plans before you launch anything. Because you need to think this through right. before, you, before you start biting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, thank you, A.V., great conversation. A lot of good stuff to think about as we plan for our digital transformations in 2024 and beyond. We're going to debrief from that conversation here in just a moment. And then later in the show, we're also going to share with you the first two chapters of my new book called The Final Countdown. But first, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. Interested in working for a company that truly values your unique skills and experience? Here at Third Stage, we don't hire based on resumes alone. We look at the full candidate, experience, and willingness to provide excellent service for our clients. Within a technology independent and agnostic consulting firm, you have the opportunity to learn across industries with a diverse group of clients. Our consultants also have the opportunity to diversify their portfolio and learn across technology systems. If you're interested in joining a high growth entrepreneurial organization, please reach out to us at work at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 134. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. And uh, Kyler, we just had AV on the show talking about some digital and tech trends in 2024 and beyond. What were some of your thoughts and takeaways from that conversation? Well, it's always a, a great synergy between the between you two. So it's just such great energy to have that conversation. Um, we actually first met the Avero team um, at Inc. 5000 conference, as you mentioned. And it was so interesting because we were trying to decide like, were we friends? Were we like competitor? Like, what were we? Like, what was our relationship status at that point? Um, and we just found our way back to their team each time because there is just such a cultural fit of transparency, of technology agnosticism, of just wanting to help clients. I don't think a lot of people understand kind of the back end of your leadership style and AVs is that you really handpicked both of you your executive team to make sure that they carried that culture with you. You both are very intentional about culture. Um, so as if I had to request a part two, which, you know, I always have to slide that in there is talking about being executive and creating a culture of independence is something that I think would be a really interesting conversation for you guys, not only on the trending side, but also on building an intentional culture, because you do have such synergies in that area. That's why our teams work so well together because it's such a good match. Yeah. Yeah. It is interesting. And I think uh, you, you met these guys before I did, I believe. So because you were at the Inc 5,000 uh, event last year and I wasn't able to, to go, but um, yeah, that's how we met is we're both on the Inc 5,000 last year. They've been on it three years in a row. Now we've just 
just now have our second in a row. Um, so it, it was interesting though, as we got to know him, you felt like we should be sort of uh, mortal enemies because we do the same thing, but then you realize, well, actually they're pretty cool people and it, we don't overlap that much. I mean, we, we have similar business models, but they're focused on a different segment of the market than we are. Um, so it works out pretty well and we've, we've collaborated on a lot of stuff here over the last uh, year or so. So it's been a good, good relationship for sure. Yeah. I think both of your intention are bringing the best specialties to your clients. That's the, that's the important part about that as you're so client focused that you're always willing to reach out to a, either a system specialist or a, a, an entity specialist, like in, in the public sector in these areas. Um, so that type of thing always makes sense in that approach. But when we look at kind of trends in the marketplace, I think I'm always uh, so interested to hear AV's feedback that it's so um, modernized because I don't know if it's just a misconception I have, but every government entity that, you know, I've worked with on the, the technical front is in, you know, the guppy lane um, in going to <laughs> new technologies. It's really always been a huge, huge undertaking to get them even to a modernization system. So it's it's something that's always interesting to hear from him about being so forefront and looking at those more quote unquote emerging technologies as opposed to just kind of the basic modernization of getting off a green screen or being able to automate manual systems that you you needed to do really 20 years ago that the private sector has done. So I just find that interesting to hear from him on on that front. Yeah, I was that was probably the most surprising part of the conversation for me too was the um, you know, when he was talking about the the fact that government entities oftentimes are going to be more likely to leapfrog um, and sort of jump, you know, through multiple generations of technology to get to the current state or to, to the future state. And um, I would have expected sort of the opposite, that they're going to move slower, more conservatively, more incrementally. But he's saying, no, you know, because they're so far behind, they've got more ground to make up. So they're more likely to take these big jumps. And I thought that was super interesting for sure. Yeah, I mean, and and you have to consider in those leapfrogs, not only as, as we a lot of times do, which we work with the public sector all the time, so we definitely have that data um, to really look at that, but it's not only a cultural shift for your internal employees, which are often more tenured in, in the government sphere, but also your entire citizens that you're committed to serve. So now if you have a whole kind of digitization process of something like the DMV or something like that, um, then all of a sudden you have to look through that. I know I've talked about our illiteracy in our children's um, parent portal um, and things like that in the public school system that we laugh at ourselves at. But it's it's the same thing where you're not only influencing uh, a con uh, internal organization, but also constituents that rely on you for day-to-day -day needs and necessities. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there's so much impact that that has on society and the people in general and citizens and stakeholders of, of government entities that that that's uh, it, it's it becomes a little bit easier to point to immediate potential business value and impact on society. And I think when we do your debate, we should do um, the because we always like to talk about doomsday, but the the worst digital transformation you've seen kind of in the private sector that are often more expensive and, you know, affect a lot of different tiers, but also the worst digital transformation in the public sector and kind of have these 
scary stories since it is in October. We're getting close to Halloween here in the States. Ooh, we can good point. do some some scary stories there and, and repurpose it for this podcast. So that's that's my plan. You know, I like to moderate those things and just throw out whatever, you know, I want to be able to ask, keep everyone on their toes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm looking forward to it. It'll be fun to have that debate. And and I think too, the you know, not only is it a, kind of a fun format to have that sort of debate, but it's also a good um, reminder that it does depend. I know we say that a lot on the show and AV and I were, you know, you were making comments in the chat during the, during the discussion with AV that, uh, you know, we should create mugs that say it depends, hashtag it depends, but that's part of the fun of this, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. That'll be part of the fun of this event is, you know, give me a topic mm -hmm. and give me an angle that I need to defend. And, uh, it's, it's a lot like debate club or whatever, but you can make strong arguments on both sides of these equations. And I don't even care what side of the argument you give me up. I think it'll be fun to, to argue it and sort of look at one side, one sort of one myopic view, and then compare it to one other myopic view. And I think through that discussion, you find that, well, the answer is probably somewhere in the middle and you've got to kind of figure out where you fall on that spectrum. And that's really the whole point of that uh, debate format that we're going to have at, at Stratosphere, which uh, again, you can, see the speaker list in the agenda as it's unfolding and, and being worked as we speak, uh, you can go to stratosphere2023.com and uh, you can also register at that site. And it's October 4th through the 6th in Denver, Colorado. I'll be there. You'll be there. AV will be there. Uh, lots of other speakers will be there. Technology agnostic speakers as well, as well as industry software vendors and, and peers and others outside of third stage will be there as well. So really look forward to that. And hopefully you all can join us there at Stratosphere in uh, Denver, October 4th through the 6th. Yeah. So well, good. Well, good stuff. Well, we're going to get into the uh, book too. the book. You know, if you attend the session, you have the opportunity to uh, not only get a hard copy, a physical copy of the new book called The Final Countdown, um, which is my first book. And uh, it's been released for pre-sale on Amazon. You can also, um, you, you can buy it now at a discounted rate. And when the book is actually officially released on August 25th, you'll automatically receive uh, you'll be the first to receive the electronic copy uh, on Amazon, so be sure to check it out. But we're going to read a couple chapters, of the first two chapters of the book here uh, today on today's podcast. So I'm looking forward to that. So we're going to do that after we take a quick break. Um, but first, we're going to take that break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Eric Kimberling, your host here on Transformation Ground Control. I want to personally invite you to our upcoming Stratosphere 2023 event. It's a conference that we host every year. It's a tech agnostic conference, features a number of independent technology agnostic speakers, both from third stage consulting, as well as from outside our company. We try to bring in the, the industry's brightest minds and the most objective minds to help you learn the things you need to know to make your transformation successful. We cover everything from digital strategy to software evaluation, to change management, to program management, to process improvement data and architecture migration, all that kind of stuff we're going to cover here in Digital Stratosphere. It's going to be October 4th, 5th, and 6th in Denver, Colorado. I'll be there. Kyler will be there, our co-host here on Transformation Ground Control, as well as others will be there. So be sure to check us out. We'll also have great opportunities for networking, for peer networking, as well as networking with speakers. We're also going to have great entertainment too. We'll have some happy hour networking events, as well as live music from that 80s band, which is uh, my favorite cover band. They play all 80s stuff. Uh, so come enjoy that as well while you're, while you're at it. It's all happening in Denver, October 4, 5, and 6. Uh, you can go to stratosphere2023.com to learn more about the event. Be sure to register by August 15th to get the early bird discount, which is uh, fairly significant. 
Again, stratosphere2023.com. Learn more about it. Hope to see you there. And uh, in the meantime, hope you enjoy the rest of this episode of Transformation Ground Control. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 134. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham, and you can find new episodes of the show every Wednesday on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, and audio podcast platforms as well. You can also just go to transformationgroundcontrol.com to see all the different options you have to watch and listen. Again, transformationgroundcontrol.com, new episodes every week, so be sure to check us out. I'm excited uh, to announce, and we're excited to announce, my first book is being released this month. Uh, in fact, you can pre-order the book now on Amazon. The book is called The Final Countdown. It's all about digital strategy and how to define the digital strategy that makes the most sense for your organization. It also contains case studies and examples uh, through our uh, years of experience helping clients throughout the world with their digital transformation journeys. And you can learn more about uh, the book by, you can search for it on Amazon or you can go to thefinalcountdown.com um, to learn more about the book. But rather than just tell you what the book is about, we thought we'd share with you the first two chapters of the book today. So Kyler is going to read the first two chapters and share with us the first two chapters of the book. So I'll hand it over to you, Kyler. Thanks so much, Eric. I'm so excited to be able to share the first two chapters. I know we covered my favorite chapters last week. Um, if you haven't listened to those, head over to last week's episode to check out chapters nine and 10, which are my personal favorite. But today we're going to show um, chapters, I'm going to read chapters one and two, uh, so that you can kind of get a feel for the introduction of the book. Again, the book is available for pre-sale on Amazon and does launch um, on August 26th. So you are able to go on Amazon, search the final countdown, or look in the description language of this episode to order your copy um, for a promotional price. So definitely head over and do that. It's a great investment. Again, and this book is called The Final Countdown Strategies to Reach the Third Stage of Digital Transformation by Eric Kimberling and is read today by Kyler Cheatham. So let's get into it. Chapter one, don't be a case study. On average, a company spends between three and 4% of annual revenue on a digital transformation project to optimize operations and automate processes. Nike's digital transformation in 2003 had the same intent and roughly the same budget. At the time, Nike was north of a $10 billion company. So spending $400 million on new software and everything that goes with it was fairly intuitive. What was not intuitive was their approach to implementation. If we were to ask Nike's leadership, this was nothing but a glitch in their system. It was simply something viewed as a speed bump in the grand scheme of their billion-dollar operations. The question here is, was it really a speed bump, or could it have been avoided in its entirety? The issues that Nike ran into were based on its inability to accurately forecast demand. They couldn't get the right product mix to their customers and were unable to fully grasp the demand to produce the right amount of product in each category. When they realized the fumble, long production lead times kept them from adjusting in time to mitigate the problem. Yes, it was the system that projected inaccurately. The system they implemented may have been too slow, maybe it didn't integrate well, or potentially it had some bugs that needed to be worked through. However, at its core, there were three holes in Nike's approach during this digital transformation. One, Nike's planners 
were inadequately trained on how to use the system before it went live. Two, Nike didn't have a process in place for someone to check and confirm demand projections before the factory began production. Number three, Nike missed the target in their testing efforts. A bug of this size should have been caught during tests prior to going live. Although there were some issues with the system, pinpointing the root cause of an ERP failure is done by peeling back layers of the subject's digital strategy. The success or failure of a digital strategy can be rooted in three pillars of digital transformation, people, process, and technology. Nike made mistakes on one component within each one of these three pillars, and it was reflected in a $100 million loss. Opportunities were missed through lack of comprehensive training, people, failure to implement revised workflows for newly launched software to keep demand planning systems in check, process, and neglect to run comprehensive end-to-end testing to ensure glitches were caught and addressed before going live with new software, technology. Three characteristics define failure when it comes to implementing enterprise software. One, it costs more time or more money than originally expected. Two, it delivers considerably less business value than anticipated. Three, it sees operational or material disruption that affects your business. Any of these three factors can be chalked up as an implementation failure. Unfortunately, Nike fell prey to all three, and they are still working to optimize their operations as a result. It's not just Nike. Believe it or not, over half of all organizations fail based on these standards. It's more common than one would think, and most of the time, it's due to a subpar or complete lack of digital strategy to guide the transformation through common pitfalls every company faces when implementing enterprise software. If there is no digital strategy, there's no North Star. There are various common pitfalls that nearly all organizations run into through transformation projects. It's these pitfalls that can make or break a company's success. Of course, we have instances such as Nike's 2003 crash and burn, but other pitfalls dance their way into projects and leave project leaders scrambling to make up for lost time, lost capital, and operational disruptions. The most common culprit is lack of alignment across all executives in which direction the rocket is going. Oftentimes, this lack of alignment can be rooted in either miscommunication or, generically, an internal bias. For example, a company's objective may be to grow its bottom line. We can get to that result in a few different ways. If the CFO of an organization has their eye on cutting costs while the COO has the intention of driving less revenue, there's a lack of alignment there. Yes, each of these strategies serves as a pathway to drive the bottom line, but they are all unique pathways nonetheless. The way we drive revenue within a company looks different than the way we cut costs. This misalignment in the how is the very thing that many companies face. So before implementing any changes, we must ensure our team is aligned and facing the North Star as one cohesive unit as we formulate our digital strategy. That way, when it comes time for transformation, 
our team can ensure all sales are set in the same direction. The lack of project governance is another huge pitfall that organizations run into. There are various complex and expensive decisions that one must make when considering enterprise technology. While we are in the thick of a transformation project, we need guardrails to guide the challenges along the way. Formulating a comprehensive digital strategy can act as just as that, the guardrails. When it comes time to determine which software to select or which modules we'll need to integrate, we can refer back to our digital strategy and recall what we initially set out to do. If it supports our digital strategy and inches the company closer to its overarching strategic objectives, then do it. If it doesn't, then don't. Without a digital strategy, we neither garner executive alignment or will have the means of governance. Without digital strategy, we will get to the other side of the project and realize we are no better off than we were before. Whether we're classified as a Fortune 500 entity or a small business, the level at which we are prepared to launch a digital transformation is the level at which we will succeed. More time should be spent in planning and strategizing our roadmap than anywhere else in a given implementation project. The lack of an all-encompassing digital strategy guiding a software implementation puts us at risk and may only drive a wider gap between where we are today and where we want to go. Each segment of this book will discuss various considerations that can be used to integrate our overarching corporate strategy into our digital strategy. That digital strategy will be our roadmap to the execution of our digital transformation. This will help drive the understanding of how we can optimize current operations utilizing modern technology. In today's digitized world, our corporate strategy and our digital strategy are nearly one and the same, and we cannot define one without the other. Without a synergistic vision and execution plan, it will be difficult to garner buy-in from our team, make sound business decisions, or stay relevant in an ever-changing digital world we live in today. We're here sharing with you an excerpt of the first two chapters of my new book called The Final Countdown. You can learn more about that book at thefinalcountdown.com, or you can search for it and buy it now on Amazon. The pre-sale is on as we speak, and the book will be released on August 25th. We've got a lot more of the excerpts to get to here, but we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. We'll be right back. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com.
Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 134. I'm here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday, and we are here sharing with you the first two chapters of my new book called The Final Countdown. So let's jump back into the excerpts. Chapter two, digital strategy in the area of all things digital. Today's world is driven by technology. Business operations are now defined by the level of technology that supplements the operating model. It's our enterprise software that helps track metrics, identifies opportunities, maintain organizations, and ultimately inches ahead of our competition. Without a sound digital strategy in place, competitors will overbear the market and our business will dwindle. Without a clear vision of what we want our company to be when it grows up and how we want organizations to operate, it will be difficult to pinpoint technologies that can be leveraged to help us get there. A clear digital strategy will be the horse before the chariot that powers our digital transformation. It will enable us to maintain a competitive advantage as the world becomes more and more technologically advanced. It has never been more important to align our corporate and digital strategies to reach our target operating model. Now, what exactly is a digital strategy? Let's simplify the concept and take the word digital out of the picture. As an executive team, we will likely have a strategy in place. Maybe our overarching strategy is to lead our industry in customer experience, or it could be that our company wants to build a reputation of having the quickest turnaround time in its deliveries. This overarching business strategy is what will help our organization stand out against others, and it will encompass the business aspect that our company is best positioned to execute. A digital strategy is a plan that an executive team must align on to determine how the company will achieve its established business strategy. How will we create a premier customer experience? How will we be able to deliver packages the fastest out of all other companies? How will we increase our bottom line? In the dark ages, or just 50 years ago, the how was entirely dependent on the people and process in place. Fast forward to the 21st century and technology has developed as a third piece to the puzzle that helps organizations achieve their strategic goals. Our technology process and people within our organization are married, with one unable to fully function without the other. It's the tripod to success and the detailed compilation of each of these elements is what formulates a digital strategy. Let's run through an example. Say an executive team has aligned on a strategic plan designed to drive revenue by cross-selling more products. They must take that specific strategic goal and work backwards to formulate a digital strategy. To formulate the digital strategy, they must have a stronghold on how adding cross-selling metrics will affect their sales team, how the selling and the closing processes will be altered to get there, and ultimately which CRM or customer relationship management tool will help them optimize their cross-selling and upselling efforts. Their digital strategy will be the detailed roadmap that outlines how they will manage the people, process, and technology in order to reach their company's strategic goals. Translating our corporate strategy to an aligned digital strategy is called strategic articulation. And it requires us to dig below the surface to understand the complexities of the organizational, operational, and technological side of our business. 
It also guides in planning tactics and practices that will optimize those elements. We do this through the development of digital strategy. One of the most important things to understand is that an effective digital strategy is tailored and aligned with an organization's specific needs. Every organization has a unique culture, distinct operations, different competencies, and varying technological needs. Each organization's digital strategy needs to reflect the differentiators within its business. So, how do we do that for our business? The key is to envision how technology will enable us to reach our greater goals and objectives as an organization. If we have a clear strategic plan on a corporate level, it becomes easier to identify and outline the digital strategy that will pave the path for us to get there. We can prime ourselves to start constructing a cohesive digital strategy by pondering these six considerations. Define who we are and where we're going. Alignment with corporate strategy and culture is the most important aspect of an effective digital strategy. Understanding who we are as an entity today and who we want to be when our company matures is the single most important step before formulating any digital strategy and ultimately implementing new software. If our digital strategy is aligned with our corporate strategy, then we have a high chance of success when we begin our digital transformation execution. With this in mind, our first step is to find our core competencies and overarching corporate strategy for the future. What is it we are trying to accomplish as an organization? What is our vision for how our operations will look in the future? Do we have the best customer experience out of all of our competitors? Do we make deliveries to customers in record time? The answer to these questions and other questions will set us on the path towards formulating the best digital strategy possible. Identify and improve processes and work streams. Once we understand where we are and where we are going as an organization, we will be able to pinpoint and prioritize the processes that need love. The processes that have bottlenecks or are too manual for efficiency's sake, and the ones that stand as the biggest barrier to where we are today and where we want to be in the future. It's these processes that need to adapt and change. In Chapter 5, we'll walk through the hierarchy of processes to help identify which processes to improve and how to improve upon them. Establish project governance. It is important to define what success means to us. This entails defining our key operational metrics, and those metrics should always be tied to the greater process and results that move the needle toward our corporate strategy. These metrics will also help establish and maintain project governance and risk mitigation strategies. Above all else, they will help us justify and optimize the benefits of our potential digital strategies. Build an organizational change management strategy to support our digital strategy. Our digital strategy won't mean much without an effective organizational change management strategy to support it. After all, technology is just technology without a team of people running the show and inputting effective data. Strategizing the human component of a transformation is one of the most important inputs and determinants of success. We'll get to how to define an organizational change plan in part two, people. To summarize, however, an organizational change plan should address organizational readiness, change impact, organizational design, 
and other critical activities that most project teams and system integrators don't think about. Objectively consider the pros and cons of our potential software options. An organization has several potential strategic alternatives, each with its distinct trade-offs. No alternative will be perfect, so we should never adopt the mentality that upgraded technology or improved processes will fix everything. There is no silver bullet that will solve all problems in one poll, so it is important to objectively evaluate each avenue. The metrics and business case we define will help to evaluate the strengths and weaknesses of each route we could take. For example, once we begin inching towards the software selection phase of a digital transformation, we may be weighing our options between SAP S4 HANA versus Oracle Cloud ERP versus Microsoft's Dynamics 365 as potential solutions. Each will have different implementation costs, different impacts on our organization, and different trade-offs. Each one will speak to the needs we have differently. The only way to make the right decision is to first prioritize our needs, our wants, and our expectations to evaluate each option objectively. We will discuss this further in Chapter 22. Outline an implementation plan that is aligned with our digital strategy. After we do our due diligence in planning, researching, surveying, and optimizing what is our current state, we can pull everything together to create an implementation plan that will guide our digital transformation execution. Our implementation plan will define how each technical element of our digital strategy will unfold. We will marry our organizational change plan, our business process improvement plans, and our system implementation plan together as one. These facets of digital transformation make up the formula for a cohesive digital strategy, and only then are we ready to move forward with our software implementation. As we cover the three pillars of digital strategy in the pages ahead, we will walk through each of the above considerations in more detail. By the time we've gone through all the concepts together, you'll walk away with a step-by-step -step action plan that will enable your organization to reach new heights. So as long as it's used in synergy with your corporate strategy. The best digital strategy for our organization looks unlike the best ones for most other companies. There is no generic answers. So it's important to objectively define what works for us. Only when we take an aerial view of each path will we understand which road is worth pursuing. Rather than spending money on implementing software, invest in a cohesive digital transformation strategy that will evolve and grow the organization. After all, that's what everyone is after, isn't it? All right. Thank you, Kyler. Good stuff. Uh, great to hear that book come to life, and hopefully that gives you a flavor of what to expect from my new book called TheFinalCountdown.com. It's available now on Amazon. Dot com. You can pre-order it now. It'll be officially released on August 25th, but if you pre-order it ahead of time, you'll save money. So be sure to check it out on amazon.com or you can go to thefinalcountdown.com as well. So thank you for uh, sharing that with us, Kyler. Thank you to the audience for all the great questions and comments here today. Uh, we look forward to seeing you next week on Transformation Ground Control. Hope you have a great week in the meantime, and we will see you all soon. Pumpkin spice in the digital transformation space that we're going to talk about here today. Just kidding. In today's world, nope. Anyway, we'll, stay, we'll try to stay focused. Done.
thank you for coming to my reading today.